How's everybody doing? How you doing at 11 a.m.? Man, today, here's how I know. I went to bed thinking, man, today is going to be a great day. Two reasons. Tennessee won. And Florida lost. No? Come on now. God's good. Hey, uh, uh, a couple of things before we kick off. Our Hot Topic series is going to be kicking off October 2nd. Uh, what is that? We're going to talk about things that uh, you don't hear talked about in church. Do you hear that buzz that's going on, Bob, if we can get that fixed? Uh, but things that, that uh, see, the church has been answering questions for years that nobody's asking. And so we want to tackle some of the subjects that, that people are asking. And, and I've been forewarning, and I will continue. Parents, we've got a great ministry downstairs. This series is going to be PG-13 because we're going to get real. And we're going to talk about real stuff. And if you don't think, listen, the Bible, God created sex, yet the church is the last place to ever talk about it. I'm just going to let it lay there for a moment. The Bible, I mean, the church, we've kind of ignored the whole subject. But parents, if you don't think your kids in the third, fourth, fifth grade are already hearing about it, you're wrong. And they need to hear about it from a place that can give them scripture about what the Bible says about sex. Amen? Mm, well, that's all right. Hey, on that same date, Hey, you're, you're getting mad at God, not me, so I'm, I'm good with that. Um, but uh, on that same date, we'll be kicking off a men's discipleship group. Uh, we'll be kicked that Sunday at immediately following church. Uh, let me know if you want to be part of this, uh, but you'll be, re- you'll be responsible for your own lunch. But we're going to be me discussing how it's going to be taken off. And then after that, it will be on Monday nights at 6 p.m., uh, but I asked the men at our men's breakfast, hey, men, on a scale of 1 to 10, how many want to be closer to Jesus by the end of 22? And, of course, every man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, here's my follow-up question. How much effort are you willing to put into it? How much time? Because we say we want something, but then we don't want to do anything to get that. Are you, are you hearing me? So uh, how many were here last week? It's not a trick question now. All right, I'm going to find out how many of you remember last week. I'm going to say two words. I need you to say two words back to me. And I need you to say them with some umph. I don't need them to be uh, lackluster. I'm going to be nice this service. I need you to say them with some boldness. All right, you're, you're, see if you remember. Whose house? Oh, nice. Try to, whose house? Our house. Last week when I kicked off the message, uh, I meant for it to be a standalone message, and it was called I Love This Bar. And if some of you don't remember, we used to, this was our nickname, The Bar. Man, religious people hated that. And we liked it because they hated it. And uh, it just became the nickname. Hey, you going to the bar? The bar? So we kicked off, I love this bar. Now, when I say this bar, I'm not talking about any bar. I'm talking about Watch Bar Church. 
I love this church. I love this community of believers. And so it was designed to be a standalone message. But the more I studied for the, the, today and the following couple next two weeks, I thought, man, there's, this is really tying together. And so I, I, I texted Kelsey, who's over social media. I said, I think we're going to call this series Our House. Our House. And so today, man, we're going to look at a different, and I'm going to do the preacher thing. So I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say to them, it starts with the serve. Okay, I'll just tell you, with that enthusiasm, we're going to be here all day. I need a little more. It starts with the serve. All right. How many participation required? You would say this. Now, this is not going to be like what I asked the, the men. But how many of you would say, by the end of 2022, I want to look more like Jesus than ever? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. If you're a follower of Jesus, your hands should be. Now, if you're here and you say, I don't want that, listen, I appreciate your honesty. And, and no, no kickback from me. I just want to know what I'm working with. I want to know where I'm going, what I'm starting with. So, so there's no kickback there. And so, so here's the thing. I, I want to switch gears just for a moment. Um, I do not say this much uh, or enough. Every person that serves here faithfully every week, that serves at Watson Park Community Church every week, listen, I don't, whatever capacity you serve in, whether it's usher, greeter, whether you're changing diapers, where you're in WB Kids, where you're security, uh, whether you're on stage or in the sound, it doesn't matter. Whatever capacity, I want to say this. Thank you. Thank you. We could not do this without you. See, here's the thing. If I don't show up for a few weeks, as, as we found out when our past, things will go smooth. You don't show up, we in deep doo-doo. We, we got some work. But so what you do, I say that to say this, you make a difference. The way you serve, the way you step up when others are just watching what's happening around them. Come on. Have you ever, you, you know that person, and I know we know them, so don't look at them right now. Uh, but that person, you go to an event, and after it's over, everybody else is pitching in, cleaning up, but then you got this one or two people that, are just watching everybody clean up. They may lift their feet to let you run the vacuum under it, uh, but that's pretty much it. I don't know that part. You're probably it, but let's move on. Um, but here, I want to tell you, every person that gives their heart to Jesus, every addict that finds freedom, every kid that gets life spoken into them, every mom that drops their baby off and gets a break from life for a few, you, thank you, thank you for that. You matter. What you do here is making a difference. It's making a difference. And here's why I'm talking about this today. Our volunteers are great. Amen. We need more. We need more. We're about to change. In fact, uh, we're about to change up how we, uh, you know, we do our new to the bar luncheon and basically, you know, to officially become a part because we've got people. In fact, the, the lady that uh, made lunch for our new to the bar luncheon had not even come to one of these yet. Uh, 
because we, if you show up, you don't have to officially be a member to belong and get involved. But, you know, on the thing we go through, it says, yes, I will serve. I will serve. And so I got to talk with, with Casey and Denise and a couple of others, and we're going to change it up to where before, that's it, Shepherd, sing it, baby, sing it. It's my grandson. Uh, he does have good lungs. He's going to be a singer. Uh, mm, hold on, man. There's a message. Somebody's got a message in tongues right now. Right now. Somebody. So, um, where was I at? Oh, then it changed it up. What we're going to start doing, if you say, man, I really want to plug in, become an official member of, or owners, what we call them, we're going to do a four-week class leading up to that. And what it will discuss, it, because we want you to actually get involved. And one week will be our beliefs, what we believe, why we believe it. It'll be our vision. One week will be you discovering your, your uh, spiritual gift to help you know where to serve. And if, if this Christian thing is all new to you, we're going to be uh, getting off for next steps to find out, you know, where, where this is leading. So, because I, I firmly believe this. Uh, here's the reason we're not doing that is because we're not about just building up our number base. Because Jesus didn't say, get people saved. He said, make disciples. Make disciples. And that's what we're going to begin to concentrate more and more and more on is making disciples. Because I'm firmly a believe what I'm about to say. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me say this and scripture backs it. And if you're taking notes, this is it. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Jesus didn't die on the cross, get raised from the dead, so that we could pray a short prayer, get delivered, get set free, have our marriages healed, but then do nothing from there on out. Saved people serve people. See, I'm excited about what God's doing here at Watts Bar Community. I believe we've only begun to tap into what God really wants to do. And here's the thing. Today's message, listen, if you're new here, man, you picked a great day because I'm really going to pick on our people. Um, but here's the, this is not just to those that have just started. I'm talking to people that have been here for a long, long time that have never committed to stepping up and serving. Or at very best, have been very spotty in their dedication. And, and, and so I need you to hang with me because I know some of you are thinking, man, you're harsh. But, well, it's going to get worse. Um, here's what I'm getting at. If you're a follower of Jesus... I believe you should be serving in the local church. If this is your church, I, should, I believe you should be serving. And get this, don't confuse being a church attender with being a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus means our goal is to look like Jesus in every aspect. Church attendance doesn't make any imp impact. But following Jesus makes incredible impact in our society. There's a big difference between someone who just attends 
and someone who actually follows Jesus. And I believe we've got to retrain your thinking because ever since I was, I was raised in church, I talked about that last week, here was kind of the thinking, well, I'm going to get up, I get saved, I'm going to go to church. Here's why I go to church. I'm going to go to church, hear some music, um, hear a guy preach. There's going to be an altar call. Then I can go home and check that off my list. Because in the South, that's what we do. We go to church. Or... Here's what I'm thinking about church. It's where, when I've had a bad week, I've screwed up royally, and this is true. This should be a place you go to. But here's the problem with a lot of the thinking. I screwed up. I'm going to go to church, cry, pray a prayer, ask God to forgive me, feel better about myself, go out and do the same stupid stuff again. (laughs) I've been... My wife's been working on my filter for years. And then we just continue in the cycle. But nothing ever changes. I wrote this down this morning. It's not in my notes. Uh, It just hit me. I was like, we want relationship without change. Let me tell you, when I first met this woman, and I began to pursue her, there was a lot of things I changed just so I could just not know her on a... I didn't want to be in the friend zone. But I believe a lot of Christians have settled for the friend zone with Jesus. I know I wanted intimacy with that woman. I wanted to get to biblically know that woman when we got married, when we got married. Now, I wanted before that, but we know what the Bible says. But anyway, let's move on. And, and so I begin, there's things about me that changed because of that. I believe when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, if we want to deeply know him, there are some things in us that have got to change. And that's free, that's free. Um, and you maybe said, PK, man, why are you so harsh about this? And, and I know it sounds kind of harsh. So let me tell you, as the pastor of this house, let me, I, I've got four incredible kids. I, I mean, I do. Uh, they weren't, they haven't always been incredible kids. Uh, hand, hand, uh, but they, <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> there were times that they were living way below their potential. Come on, any parents know I'm talking about? They, their kids were living. Like, okay, let's say you've got a kid. Now, now every family has this. Uh, I'm going to say this nicely as I can. Every, we've all got those kids that... They, they bring home and C's and D's. We're like, oh, bless your heart. You're doing great. But <laughs> we've got those kids where we know you can do better. Come on, are you with me? Like, I was that C and D kid. And my mom was like, oh, bless his heart. And she didn't really push that because that's about as smart as I was. Uh, but there were some areas where she knew I was not living up to my potential. And those are areas that she really harped on me about. Why? Because she loved me and she knew I was living way below my potential. Come on, are you with me? There are other people that, have you ever known someone um, maybe that were dating way below their potential? Because, well, they just wanted to date someone. Hey, hey, what are you looking for in a man and a woman? Uh, at this point in life, I would just like for them to be a man or woman, not just identify as one. I want them to actually be a man or a woman. And I don't want them to come with after factory parts. I want the real part, you know. That's for hot topics. Let's get off that for a second. 
So have a little fun. But here, your pastor, each and every one of you have been called, gifted, equipped, and empowered to serve Jesus through the local church. But many of you are living below your potential as a follower of Jesus. And so I feel the need to say, step it up. You can do better than that. One, we need you to step it up. We need people that are willing to get out of their comfort zone and be part of saving and changing someone's life. Last week we read uh, out of Isaiah 54. It said this, verse 2 and 3. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the scene. Yes, that was a promise for the Israelites, but I believe it is a promise for Watts Bar Community Church that we need to widen, we need to expand, we need to expand our borders because God is about to bring people in. And we are growing. And most people think, well, more people means more volunteers. You've heard of more money, more problems? Sometimes just more mo people, more problems. No, but <laughs> I didn't say hit me funny. I didn't say it's first service. Uh, some people think more, 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 more people, more people, more volunteers. That's not the case. I wish it were. In fact, people that study church patterns and, and the way they grow say this, that the church suffers from what is called a 20-80 problem. It's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work while the rest do nothing. Another article I read about this said in the church world, a more accurate scale would be 1090, where 10% of the people are doing 90% of the work. Now, I'll say this. We've got a great volunteer stat crew. Great. So I would even up that number to where it's 3070. 3070. And, but here's the thing. Even at 3070, why is it still that low? Why is it that low? If we as Christians, as followers of Jesus... If Jesus is our model for how we should live our lives, why do only 30% of the people that call this place home actively and faithfully serve? Here's what I'm convinced of. And you may push back with me, and that's all right, but I'm convinced of this. At its core, serving is a heart issue. At its core. Well, what do you mean, Kelly? Listen, I've lived long enough to know this. Men and women, we, us, men and women, human beings, we do what we want to do. I mean, we do. We find time to do what we want to do. Like, you may not be a morning person, and everybody may know it, but if somebody tells you, hey, we're going to get to do this thing that you really love, but you got to be at my house at 4 in the morning, you're going to be there at 4 in the morning because that's important to you. And so we do what we want to do. So at, the, at its core, serving is a heart issue. Jesus even addresses this in Matthew 6. He's talking about all the things that people pour their time and energy in that, that really amount to nothing. There's no eternity gains in it. I mean, he's, things like our hobbies. And I'm listen, I'm for having a hobby. I've got them. But he, he's telling me it's about we throw ourselves into these hobbies, golfing, hunting, fishing, or whatever. But, but then one 
minute, that could be taken away from us. A broken arm, a, a debilitating disease, or as one of our, our uh, uh, April Steele, her son, Friday night, man, got laid out at a football and was in the ER. Those things are temporary. And they can be taken away from us. Jesus talks about, and maybe you're the person, man, you work. You work and work and work for things. But those things can be taken away from us in a heartbeat. And Jesus says this after he talks about these, those things. He makes this well-known statement in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the way the passion paraphrases it because it says this, for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. I valued this woman as a treasure, so I pursued her. She was important to me. I changed things about my character to get that woman. I put a filter in my mouth for that woman. I went to girly movies for that woman. I've watched Hallmark movies for that woman. I've watched renovation shows for that woman. I've gone antiquing for that woman. I've gone yard selling for that woman. Why? Because I, she matters to me. What you treasure, what you pursue is what you value as your treasure. So serving at its very core is a heart issue. I've sat with our staff and our leadership at times, and they say, Pastor, you know, we'd like to do more, but honestly, we are at our limit. The people that are signing up and that are serving, man, we're overworking them, and I don't want to burn them out. We need more people to set up or step up. That's the 2080 problem. And as we approach the end of 2022, and we look forward to, to, to going to another uh, the 2023, my prayer and my heart for this church is that we would flip the script and we would not be a 2080 church, but we would be an 8020 church. Well, we've got so many people that says, I want to volunteer, I want to step up, that man, it is like a volunteer riot. I mean, we've got so many people showing up. That is my heart. And I believe that's what Jesus wants the church to look like. See, thing, if we, the church, and who's the church? Who's the church? If we're not willing to serve like Jesus, if we're not willing for Jesus to be our model and for us to serve and lay down our lives, what are we here for? Man, I, I, I could go all about serving. I, I heard a message. I heard Perry Noble touch on this a few weeks ago, and it changed the way I looked at serving a little bit. So we're going to be uh, at a couple different places today, so I need you to hang with me. But, but here's the thing. Serving, it all starts with the serve. With that being said, how many know somebody that's always late? Come on, they are late for, get them up, that's all right. Come on, now's your time. Your wife cannot give you the stink eye. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hate being late. I, I mean, it is, it is my pet peeve. And I hate for people to be late and make me wait on them. In fact, I have been known to say, and people that know me, hey, I am pulling out at 6.30. If you're not here in the vehicle, you will be left and have to find your own way. Sure enough, at 6.30, I'm gone. I hate being late. I think, to me, it's disrespectful to everybody else that, that's waiting on the person. And some of y'all are getting convicted now to speak. I feel it right now. Uh, 
My brother Stephen and his family, they are late for everything. If we're having dinner at five, we tell them it starts at three. Come come on. Because we know they're going to be late. I'm, I'll never forget one year uh, over at mom and dad's, we're having Thanksgiving dinner. Stephen was in charge of bringing the turkey and the ham, the main course. I mean, you got to have that for Thanksgiving. We were bringing the sides and all that. We had everything there. We were meeting. Everybody was waiting. An hour and a half later, Stephen and his family shows up with the turkey and ham. Never again was he put in charge of bringing the main course. I mean, I hate being late. I, when me and Denise first got married, it was one of our biggest arguments that we had because she was late for everything. Everything. She has gotten better most time. Uh, and uh, now she is much, much better. I'm, sta- I'm, I'm sta- staying in my limits. She was late on me my first time. <laughs> so, uh, but she was late for everything. We were both on the praise team at the church. And, uh, and we lived five minutes from church. And she somehow managed to be 20 to 30 minutes late every week. And I got, I'm not waiting on you. We've got two vehicles. Do what? Okay, you're, you're right. 45 minutes late every week. Um, and so I said, listen, I'm not waiting on you. And I would leave. She, she'd drive a car to church. Because here's my thing. And I thought you didn't want to speak. So... And so uh, every week, man, it, it was late. It was late. And, and I was like, Here, here's my thought process. And some of y'all will be able to relate. You know, every week it has not changed. We've got to be there at 8 a.m. Every week, though, you are consistently 20 to 30 minutes late. Why, if that is the problem, why don't you think I need to get up earlier and start earlier to get ready? That, that, and, and I know that sounds insane, but that was my mind thought. And, and here's the thing. It's one thing when people are late. What about when Jesus is late? Oh, big guy. Jesus is never late. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Come on. We'll sing that. That sounds great. But how many have ever thought, man, God, I sure could you. It's, if you showed up right now, it would be good. Come on, let's, can we get real? How many have ever felt like God showed up late for a healing? God showed up late for a deliverance. So, and, and so that's where we're going we're gonna to jump into this story here. Uh, it's one of the favorite stories found in John 11. Um, it's the story of one of Jesus' closest friends a guy by the name of Lazarus. And John 11 opens up, very first verse saying, a man named Lazarus was sick. Verse three, it says, Mary and Martha, his sister, sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend is sick. That's where we're gonna pick up. Verse four, John 11. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Don't pull up that next scripture. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. And he loved Mary. So you would think Jesus' friend is sick. 
We about to see a healing. We about to see a miracle. Jesus about to get up, go lay hands or do something, and we're going to see it. Well, let's look what happens. Verse 6. So when Jesus heard that his good friend Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus gets word that his good friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus declares, hey, this sickness is not going to end in death. Then he sits down and hangs out with his disciples a couple more days. Again, how many have ever felt like God was late showing up for the party? Again, we can sing those songs about he's an on-time God. We could shout and praise, but when we're sending prayers up to Jesus and we're sending word to Jesus, hey, my marriage is in trouble. Hey, my kid's on drugs again. Hey, I'm sick. I need a healing here. My fine, I'm about to lose my house. We send those, and it seems like Jesus said, okay, and just sits down and never moves. Doesn't feel like he's an on-time God then, does it? Maybe we should change the lyrics of the song. He's on his own time, God. Yes, he is. Because we're down here praying and we're like, now would be a great time, God. Now would be a great time for you to show up. And that's where Mary and Martha are at. They send word to Jesus that their brother, Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, is sick and dying. And Jesus doesn't move. What happens? Lazarus dies, right? He dies. Uh, and when Jesus finally shows up, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Jesus missed the funeral. Jesus missed the wake. If this was southern uh, part of, uh, of the country, he would have missed the time when everybody got together and ate chicken casserole until they couldn't eat anymore. If you're not from the south, you may not understand that. We love our chicken casseroles at funerals and fried chicken. But Jesus misses it all. And Mary and Martha at different times, here Jesus is coming, here he's in town, they go out at different times and pretty much say the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Which I find, this is, this is interesting. They had faith that Jesus could heal their brother if he got there. But they didn't have faith that he could raise him from the dead. This is some food for thought. It's interesting. Let's jump down to verse 34. Jesus gets there and he says, okay, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much Jesus loved him. That's one group of people. You've always got that group of people, but there's always another group of people. You've got the group of people that, oh, look how much he loved him. Oh, look at this. Then you've got this next group of people. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he kept his friend from dying? And Jesus, still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone away, Jesus told them. Jesus told them. Who's them? Servants. Servants that were there that day. Jesus said, hey, Row the stone away. Remember, miracles start with the serve. Well, how many of the ser how many servants were there? I, I don't know. 
We don't know if they were young or old. We don't know what their skin color was. We don't know any of these things. All we know is this. Jesus told them to do something, and they did it. I, I want you to picture how crazy, because we know the end of the story, how crazy this would be. Let's say at mom's funeral, who, uh, who, who passed four years ago. Four years ago, Casey? Three. Let's say one of her good friends missed the funeral. And mom was already buried down there. And they said, oh, I showed up late. Uh, Casey, Kelly, y'all mind digging her up and let me see in her? Yeah, that's the look we would, we, oh, we're going to dig something up. We're going to dig a hole, all right. That's pretty much what Jesus did. Hey, could you open up the tomb? Could you open it up? And, and, and come on, we, we would think this person was crazy. Martha protested. Now, she did it peacefully, but she did have a protest. John 11, 39. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days, and he stinks. Jesus gets there. Mary's mind, he's a little late, four days to be exact, and he's asking the servants to do something that not only does it not make sense to the servants, it doesn't make sense to anybody there. Why are we going to roll this stone away? Why are we going to do that? His body's been there for four days, and he's got to be stinking now. Let me tell you, the smell. I'm trying, I've been trying to think of a way I could describe the smell. That must have been coming out of there. I have gone back to, during rehearsal before church, to the fellowship hall to use the men's restroom. <laughs> and open up the door. I don't even have to walk in. This hits, it, it's like an entity of its own that just reaches out and smacks you across the face. Come on, anybody, come on. Anybody know what I'm talking Oh, nobody else. Your poop don't stink. Nobody else's. Um, so that's why when Jesus is like, we roll that stone away, something's coming out, but it ain't what we want to come out. And that's what this makes no sense at all. The, the, God, it, it, it's going to stink. I mean, this body has been outside in the Middle Eastern sun and heat for four days. Tell me it's not going to stink. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like God asked you to do something that just doesn't make sense? Denise and I have. Most of y'all know the story. If you've been here, you know, we talk about when God spoke to us about coming back up here. We didn't want to be senior pastors. We didn't put in an application to be senior pastors. You know, it's like God's, and we were like, God, this makes no sense, not just to us, but anybody that knows us, this does not make sense. Some of y'all know what it's like. God asks you to do stuff that this doesn't make sense. Doesn't, what, what difference does this make? Some of you have been here and you've parked cars or greeted someone at the door. You know, this doesn't make sense, me getting up early and being here for this. Maybe you've changed a diaper or you've ministered to down in WB Kids and you're like, what, what difference is this making? This, what, what am I doing here? What, what, why are you asking me to do this? doesn't really matter. Is it even making a difference? And Martha tells Jesus that her brother's body is stinking, but Jesus doesn't flinch. Look at this, verse 40. 
Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they, who again is they? Us, the servants, rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You, I love this because this kind of shows you Jesus could have an attitude. Uh, you always hear me, but I said it loud for the sake of all these people standing here. I, I think, you, you know, so they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, who's them? The servants told them, unwrap him and let him go. Nobody thought what Jesus asked the servants to do made sense, right? Until the body came out. Until a dead man came to life. Would it be fair to say that everyone there that day had given up on Lazarus? He's dead. He's a lost cause. Leave him. Come on. Is that a fair statement? Until the servants unwrapped him and let him go. They took off of Lazarus what identified him as dead, what labeled him as dead. They took off the very things that labeled him as just give up on him. Here's why I say that those that serve here every week, you create an atmosphere with people that walk in here with different labels on them that have been labeled dead, that have been labeled, hey, there's no, there's no cause. They're, just give up on them. They've been labeled with, with sexual identities. They've been labeled addict. They've been labeled liar, thief. And we create an atmosphere, if you serve here, of people that when they walk in, God says, let me peel that label off of you. And what was once dead now comes to life. You do that. You do that. But where did the miracle start? With the servants. With the servants. Now, there's no easy transition here to this next miracle. So I'm just going to go in. I'm not a foot person. If that's your thing, God bless you. I think feet are nasty. I mean, I do. I go get a pedicure. Yes, I do. And I'm, I am a man. I go get pedicures. But I feel sorry for that lady that's having to deal with my feet. Oh, Lord, i got to tip her. Look at that. Oh, that's just nasty. I'm not a foot person. I, I don't like feet. And I remember one year, uh, Denise and I, when we were youth pastors here years ago, uh, they used to do this. The Church of God did this thing called Invasion uh, Chattanooga. And our youth group would go stay up at Signal Mountain. And then during the day, we would come out and minister to the different uh, areas in downtown Chattanooga, some of the projects. And one of the, the things we did, we had about 30 kids with us. And it was, was going to this project and clean up uh, their, their uh, playground for the kids to be able to give them a play. We picked the glass up at where, the, where they played. I mean, we cleaned it up. Well, that day, it had been raining all morning alone. These kids... Feet were soaked, shoes were soaked, socks were soaked. I mean, to the point, you know how your skin starts shriveling up? I mean, it was soaked. So one of the leaders that was over it said, all right, let's go back to this church. I forget what church it was down in Chattanooga, and we'll, we'll call it a day. We went back in there. Well, then this same leader had the bright idea, hey, what we'd like for the youth pastors to do is wash your kids' feet. I mean, I almost threw up when he said that. And I don't want to be like Jesus, but this day I was not like Jesus. 
And so I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to tell you, by the third kid that had their feet in that water, it looked like runoff from Watts Bar Dam after it's rained three or four days. And I got to the point where I said, hey, just stick your feet close to it. I wasn't even put them down. I just sprinkling it. I was Catholic. Let's go. Let me just sprinkle it up there on there. I'm not, I'm not getting near those feet. I'll sprinkle them, and you're good with it. You're lucky I'm even doing that. And the point is, I, is this. That's now, 2,000 years ago. They didn't have tennis shoes. They didn't have socks. They walked the roads, and their feet got nasty. I mean, what else walked on roads? Livestock. So you, can you imagine stuff getting caked between your toes and those little crevices in your feet? Come on now. Here's the thing. Jesus knows he's about to be arrested and crucified. So he gathers the disciples and says, Guys, I'd like one more meal with you. And they all gather for this meal. And none of the disciples wanted to take on the role of the lowest servant. See, when you had custom was, if you had people over to your house, their feet were washed, a sign of respect, a sign of, hey, we're glad you're here. But the lowest servant in the house is the one that job was reserved for. And here you've got Jesus, the disciples. They know the custom. They know what should be done. But no one's, everyone thought that job is beneath me. And they were all waiting for somebody else to step up and take on the role of a servant. Then this happens. John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This would eventually lead to his arrest, his burial, and then the greatest miracle ever, his resurrection. But who did the miracle of the resurrection start with? Jesus, the servant. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, I think we can agree that he was watching, that he was touching the messiest part of that person's life. I ask a question to start this message off. Who in here wants to be or look like Jesus? Here's what you need to understand. You never look more like Jesus than when you're serving. Those that serve here every week, you help create an atmosphere, an environment where Jesus can touch the messiest parts of people's lives. You help create an environment, an atmosphere where people feel free to come in with the messiest parts of their lives. It wasn't always that way. That's, one of, that's why our vision, our mission statement is love God, love people, serve others. And when someone walks that, through those doors with the messiest parts, the ugliest parts of their life on display, you don't see us even wince. Why? Because we know, yep, I used to be just like that. I used to be just like that. I'm going to tell you, if we're truly being the church, if Watts Bar community is truly being the church God called it to be, we're going to be messy. 
It's going to get messy in this place. We're going to get blood on our hands. We're, 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 it, things are going to get smelly. When I got sick a, a little over a year ago, I'd had my surgery and then had to end up three days later, had to go back and was just, I mean, sick. Sickest I think I've ever been. And I was throwing up this black stuff. I mean, it just, it, it, it was just, it was nasty. And I remember I got to the, the ER and uh, it was during COVID and man, we were the only ones there that weren't there for COVID. And they found us a room to, to kind of separate us. And this male nurse comes in there and he's trying to put this tube down my nose, down into my stomach to start pumping out the whatever's in there uh, and so I can heal. And I, I could feel it. He's working and I'm working, I'm trying. But then all of a sudden, man, I violently vomited all over him. This black stuff was all over him, all over where I was sitting, all over my clothes. Anyone that was in the earshot, it was there. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'll never forget the guy was like, there's no need to apologize. This is what we're here for. This is what we do. When I think about that, that's how the church should be every Sunday. When people walk in here. They should not have to apologize for the messiest parts of their lives, the ugliest parts of their lives, how bad they screwed up or blown it that week. We should say, listen, no need to apologize. I've been there. This is what we're here for. You are welcome in this place. That's what servants do. Let's close with one last miracle. Let me ask you a little trivia. What's the first documented miracle that Jesus performed in the Bible. Water into wine. One of my favorite scenes of, of our Centuries production. If you've never seen Centuries, we do it every Easter. Uh, it's something me and Bob and, and uh, 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 Melinda and a couple others we, we put together. One of my favorite scenes is, is uh, when Jesus gets invited to the wedding and, and things go down. This is where you discover, if you're part of that, you discover how religious you are during this scene. Um, I might even go too far. You discover if you're a Pharisee or not during this scene. Is that a little harsh, Melinda? Because eh. here, during this scene, you know the you know the story. Jesus gets invited to the party, turns the water into wine, and, and so and, and so during this scene, well, people like Jesus, Jesus would never dance, and so when they see Jesus on stage dancing much less doing the stanky leg. It kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. But, but it's one of our favorite scenes, and it's one where you either go or you lean in. And we've seen, we've heard more non-Christians talk about how that one scene let their guard down and see the gospel for what it is. Now, let me ask you this. Anybody like going to weddings? Right, Ray, Ray, you like going to weddings? Not one man raised his hand. <laughs> Thank you. First service, I had one man. We took his man card right after service. <laughs> now, now, things are different from when I was growing up. Weddings are different. When I was growing up, you didn't have the dancing going on. In fact, the church I grew up in, you didn't dance. You didn't dance at weddings. You didn't go to school dances. In fact, the, the, the organization I grew up in, the, here's what, 
This is how much they, they preached against dancing. They would preach against sex because it might lead to dancing. <laughs> little humor there. Little humor. I'm going to look it up. I don't believe that. Uh, now, I am liking weddings a little more now. Uh, but, but let me go ahead and get this uh, to save some of you some hurt feelings or anything. Uh, listen, don't schedule your wedding during college football season. I will not be responsible for your feelings get hurt because you are a poor planner. Uh, <laughs> well, that went over great, didn't it, Matt? But weddings are better because you've got the dancing that goes on. And, man, I will. I'll get on the dance floor. I, I may not be able to dance, but, buddy, I'll get out there and give it my best shot, have fun. I don't care if you're watching me. I don't care if you think it's not right. I, I'm, I, I like, listen, you, you, need to, you need to become a fun person because everybody else thinks you're boring. Get on the dance floor. I'll get out there and dance with my wife. I love, so, so, yeah, weddings have gotten better. But at the most, a wedding, even with the reception, what does it last? Two to three hours at the most? Two to three hours? Not in Jesus' days. They went on for days. I mean, when, when they had a wedding, they went on for days. And so Jesus gets invited to this wedding. And, and, of course, they run out of wine, which today would not be a problem. I mean, today they run out of wine. Hey, let's send somebody down to Walmart. Uh, get some Boone's Farm, MD 2020. White call for some of you here, folks. Anyway, some else. <laughs> I think it's funny. Well, I'll move on. But they didn't have Walmart in Jesus' days. If you ran out of wine at, at a wedding in Jesus' days... It was considered shameful. And it would be a stigma that would stick with this family forever. It would bring humiliation upon this family forever. And, I mean, it's something that would be remembered. But, but it, it, would, it would cause humiliation for the bride, the groom, and the family name. Well, they run out of wine. And Jesus' mom, Mary, who was at the wedding, apparently had a close connection with the family because she's told they've run out of wine. And she doesn't want this family to suffer from the humiliation that in that culture it would cause for them to run out. So she goes to Jesus, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. John 2, 1a, this is their final miracle. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana. In Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Then look what happens next. But his mother told who? Come on. His mother told who? Do whatever he tells you to do. I want you to get this. Who, who did Mary tell to do whatever Jesus told them, him to do? He told the service, those that were serving. What were the names? We don't know. Anybody know their ethnicity? We don't know. Anybody know their social status? We don't, we, don't, we don't know any of those things. It doesn't tell us all that. It just says, Mary told the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do, which, by the way, is still great advice. 
Let's continue. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus told who? Fill the jars with water. Six jars, six stone jars that could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. I did the math. I looked it up. 20 gallons of water weighs approximately 167 pounds. On the high end, 30 gallons of water weighs right at 250 pounds. Anybody think there was some effort that had to be put in to them doing what Jesus told them to do? Come on, anybody think? I mean, it wasn't like today. Even if it was today, we could get the water hose. It's still going to take a while, fill it up. But then you got to find a dolly or something to help move it, to put it where. But imagine Jesus' days. Going to the well. Reeling that bucket down the well. Fill it up. Hmm, there's about a half gallon. Hmm, there's about one gallon. I want you to think about what had to be running through the servant's, of, servant's mind. This makes no sense at all. We're not out of water, Jesus. We're out of wine. All right, but I'm here to serve, and Jesus told me to do this. And they began to fill the buckets up with water. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Some of you that serve here every week, you wonder, this doesn't even make sense, Jesus. All I'm doing is filling jars with water. It doesn't even make sense, but I want to do it because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve, and this is what they need me to do. So I'll keep filling the jars. It says this, when the jars had been filled, Jesus told the servants, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions, or so the servants did what Jesus told them to do. You, you think getting like this, like they've got the big jar of water, You take it to him. I ain't taking it to him. You don't think he's drunk enough to know it's it's just water? I ain't taking it to him. But here's the thing. Somewhere between the servants' obedience to just simply begin to fill jars with water, somewhere between the servants' obedience to do what Jesus said and hand them this cup that all they, for all they know is just water. Somewhere between the obedience of the servants, a miracle takes place there in the house. And it all started with who? The servants. It started through the servants. This family had a situation that would have brought humiliation upon them. It would have brought devastation to their name. But you got to understand what Jesus did through the servants. Jesus transformed humiliation into celebration. And that's what Jesus... Listen. 
for those that serve here every week. That's what Jesus uses you to do to create an environment where you come in and you may think all I'm doing is parking cars. All I'm doing is shaking hands. All I'm doing is, is changing diapers. All I'm doing is dancing and acting stupid with some kids downstairs. That's all I'm doing. And what Jesus said, if you'll be obedient, I will transform somebody's humiliation into celebration through this simple, menial task of just getting water. Man. The miracle started with the servants. All because their willingness to just didn't make sense. Eddie didn't make sense. They weren't out of water. They simply did what Jesus told them to do. Let me tell you, and I'm on close. We need you, church. We need you to fill up a bucket. We need you to, to dip down in the well and pull up jars of water to create an atmosphere where people that walk in with humiliation can leave here celebrating. We need you to help create an atmosphere where people that walk in here with labels on them, Holy Spirit can begin to peel those labels off. We need you to show up and put a towel around your waist and be Jesus to people that are walking in here with the messiest parts of their lives. If I can get my pastors and leaders to come on up. If I can get my ushers ready and those in the back that are going to help me out. Get that uh, mic there, uh, up there. If this is your house, whose house? Thank you, Bob. Whose house? This is your house. You consider this your home, your house, your place, your community. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to keep them raised. Keep them raised. They're going to hand you a slip of paper. Go ahead and hand them out. Go ahead and begin to hand them out. Don't do anything with them yet. Don't do anything with them yet. When you get it in, put your hand down once you get it. We need you, church. And you may be here listening to me. I didn't say this at 9 a.m., but I felt the need to say it now. You may say, well, Kelly, man, this Christian thing is all new to me. There are days I, I blow it. There are days I, I'm still struggling with just trying to get this thing down. I'm still struggling in my addiction. I'm still struggling with this. Can I tell you if I've learned anything from AA that meets here and CR is this, what they say? Listen, just keep showing up. Did you fall this week? Show up. Did you mess up? Just keep showing up. Just keep coming back. Just keep, And that's what I would say to you. Keep showing up. Find yourself a place to serve. Get yourself surrounded with others that will help you along this walk. If you got those papers, I'm going to ask each one of them. And we've got some that are filling in for others. But they're going to kind of tell you. And I want you to touch on CR too. One minute. That's your timer. You ready? 